Hi, I'm Nora, and I'm at church. Uh, for us to have a board that lacks diversity um, cannot be God's design when we're told that the kingdom is going to be every nation, every tribe, every tongue celebrating together. And when, when we know that God has gifted people here with unique experiences from all walks of life, the board should be, you know, the elders should be, um, I think, in a lot of ways, reflecting that diversity. And, uh, and, and ultimately, I think that, that's, a, that's a kingdom value. Even Jesus, Jesus calls a tax collector and a fisherman to follow him. Think about that. You might not be able to find a larger gap in, in diversity within that culture. Yeah, defund the church, rebuild the kingdom, ain't no doubt. Time to wake up because the church walls shouldn't be there to keep people out. Yeah, let's come together, ready for change. Now is the time. We are one unit that is under God. Let's put an end to the racial divide. Uh, I gotta scream it out louder. Let's rebuild the kingdom from the ground up. Bringing unity in the community and keep the Holy Spirit all around us. Yeah, yeah, defund the church. Let's go. Three questions to the defundthechurch.com website. On this episode, we'll dive into the last two questions, four and five. And after that, hopefully you'll have a better understanding of how you can implement the vision of defund the church and rebuilding the kingdom. And you might have seen something from your youth pastor that's like he just does not seem to have a sense or she does not seem to have a sensitivity about race issues. Uh, to me, that's a way of going about it than opposed to like calling them out. How could you do that? Now, and, and again, that's not me saying as a parent, you shouldn't maybe call out your youth pastor if they're doing something stupid. But I guess I'm just saying like, what does it look like for us to invite people to journey with us to have that grace to, to you know, one of the other, you know, realities of scripture is that love is patient. And we struggle with that in our culture with this, with this information age, because we're so used to getting information quick. And we want that information to transform hearts quick. But the truth is that comes over time, it takes time. Ultimately, the spirit is at work. And we need to be patient and love through that. So question number four, um, will we commit to the value of diversity within our leadership, pastors, boards, deacons, elders, volunteer leaders, and more? So what we see a lot of times is uh, a lack of diversity within leadership. Um, it might even be that you have a relatively diverse church that's like an evangelical church, for example, uh, that there's, there's, you know, uh, a relative diversity in population, but that then when you look at the leadership boards or uh, the church staff, uh, there's just no diversity. So you have um, white pastors and white board members largely making decisions um, for the church. And that can even trickle down to um, those handling the finances, those volunteering and in, uh, in certain capacities. And so um, I think this is a call for us to say, okay, the image of God exists within every individual within this church. Um, ultimately, uh, there's people here with various gifts, but God's not distinguishing those gifts in any way based on race. So uh, for us to have a board that lacks diversity um, cannot be God's design when we're told that the kingdom is going to be every nation, every tribe, every tongue celebrating together. And when, when we know that God has gifted people here with unique experiences from all walks of life, the board should be, you know, the elders should be, um, I think, in a lot of ways, reflecting that diversity. And, uh, and, and ultimately, I think that, that's, a, that's a kingdom value. Even Jesus, Jesus calls a tax collector and a fisherman to follow him. Think about that. You might not be able to find a larger gap 
in, in diversity within that culture. Like he also asked someone to follow him. Who's dropped out of rabbi school. Like you just have, you, you have these very interesting individuals that he calls to follow him. We often focus on the fisherman, which is like the common man, you know what I mean? But like, but he also calls someone from a tax collector booth to follow him. That's, that's unique and interesting that that person would be considered a disciple. So, um, so yeah, I, I think we need to have diversity within our leadership. Frank, do you have anything to say on uh, question four here? I think that's perfect. I think that diversity matters um, because it can help cover up uh, blind spots um, from from people. One of the one of the things that I reference sometimes is something called I don't know if you remember the Jahari window. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's like a self discovery mm-hmm. tool, and one of the it's a four quadrant discovery tool. And in the different quadrants, you have stuff that you know about yourself, stuff that um, everybody knows about each other. And you have what you call a blind spot, something that somebody sees about you that you don't know. Mm. And, and I think it's very important that as we interact with each other, that we have diversity because that helps reveal blind spots, right, to, to us. Yeah. And, and, and as blind spots are revealed, it comes into what they call the arena where everybody sees it. And so to me, when you look at that arena area, that's how God is able to operate on it. When it's uncovered, it can be healed. I think a lot of times we don't know what they even problems are happening, right? We got to pray, we got to pray specific prayers to be healed. And if we don't know we're broken in those areas, because we don't associate people who can reveal those things, then we'll just stay broken and not even know it. So I think that, that your, your point will, it just needs to happen because there's, we cannot exist, you know, as you know, and this goes both ways, right? For um, all churches should be more integrated, right? I know we're talking about evangelical churches specifically, but I don't go to the evangelical church, but I think that you need diversity in all churches, especially at that level of board, because there's got to be an engagement. That engagement that's going to happen with the other churches, right, is, is going gonna, is gonna to come from the board. It's not going to come from the congregation, yeah. right? Like congregation is just going to come and do what you say. But if the board doesn't see the larger vision of the kingdom, then it won't, it won't happen. So I think that's very important. Yeah, no, that's so good. Uh, so on to our final question, question five. Will we listen to and amplify Black voices, stories, experiences as part of our worship gatherings and beyond? So this is really important. It kind of touches on what you just said, even about having a diverse leadership. It's like one of the things I've learned as a leader is when I have diverse leader, uh, leadership around me, I hear how they're going to experience that before it happens. For example, when I have women around me I get a different lens through which to see the idea that we're discussing a a way of um, understanding that maybe I didn't, or I I just don't have that experience. I don't have that knowledge. I don't have that sensitivity or that uh, approach, that idea. Um, And I'm better as a leader when I have that. Our communities are better, way better when we amplify diversity, when we allow other voices, other stories, other experiences to exist within our community and to ultimately even be platformed within our community. So I say that not to say we should be tokenizing and just throwing people up on a stage because that can, that can have uh, terrible consequences. But what I would say is, are there black voices in your church that you've never asked to speak, but you'll run to the white voices in your church to ask to speak? 
for example, let's just talk about announcements. Almost every church does some form of announcements on a Sunday. Maybe someone gets up and shares. Um, have you considered that there's maybe some black voices in your church or minority voices in general, or maybe a woman, maybe uh, a person of color in any, in any respect that could, that could maybe do announcements? Have you considered that? Now, look, I'm not saying announcements is going to transform your church, but it is going to say like, we're, what I would say is we probably have more implicit bias than we're willing to like the subconscious bias that draws us to the familiar. If we are a white pastor um, and, and ultimately uh, we have to be conscious and aware and, and desiring to amplify blacks, black voices, stories, and experiences I also think this speaks to the way hearts change. And this is really important. Hearts don't typically change because you gave them data. If that were the case, if data was the reason we changed, then we would carry in our uh, collective consciousness a whole different set of values. Um, there would be no such thing as an anti-masker movement if data was the reason people changed. <laughs> like, like so, so data does not change people. Narratives do. And, and, and I don't want to pick on anti-maskers. There's maybe even some listening to this, but, but we'll just go down that line for just a quick second. What I hear anti-maskers saying, the narrative that has connected with them is that for many of them, businesses they love or the business that they own took a huge hit during the shelter in place times. And they are saying, I'm angry about this. And by not wearing a mask, I'm, I'm narrativizing, I'm taking that narrative of my anger and the frustration that I have against my governor or policymakers in my area, and I'm not gonna wear a mask. I'm gonna let it be known that I want everything to remain open. And I'll even believe that this is a hoax if that's what it takes for me to express my hurt and my pain for what my business had to endure or these businesses and business owners that I love had to endure. When you think of it that way, you're like, oh, okay, they're not making a rational decision. They're making a narrativized decision. That's typically, even if you're here and you're saying, I make rational decisions, eh, you got a lot of blind spots within those rational decisions. We tend to make narrativized decisions. We tend to hear a narrative or a story and then connect that story and then find the data to support that connection. <laughs> Not the best scientific way of making decisions. But what I would say is for us as leaders, hopefully we would come to know that um, black marginalization is a real thing. This isn't, you know, that the statistics are there to support that. Just go read, you know, the book that I referenced earlier, The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. That's not that there's narrative in there, but there's a lot of data. And then as leaders, we have to determine how are we going to expose our communities to this data um, in a narrative that ultimately is something that might connect with them. Well, if they've been worshiping every single Sunday for the last five, 10 years with a few black families, and then you get some of those individuals on stage who they know by name, who they love, who they, who they cherish, and you have them share experiences that they've never shared with those people about when they walk in a store, they get followed about how they've been pulled over five times in the last year by the police in your town about how, um, how they experienced racism at work, um, how they get passed over for the, like, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm trying to say, um, 
when you begin to connect that to a person that these people love and cherish in your community, that's going to connect way deeper than any statistic about incarceration. Even though both are equally flagrant, does that make sense? Um, one is going to just connect with this deep emotional part of us that ultimately I think is given by God, which is this desire to, 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 to step in and to protect someone who's having injustice inflicted upon them. When it's a statistic, it's easy to be like, I don't know that person. But when it's someone in your community that you've put on stage and interviewed in this capacity, it can have a powerful, uh, it can create a powerful, and I would even say revival-like moment for the hearts of people within your community. And I think a lot of our churches might be missing those opportunities to elevate those voices, stories, and experiences. So yeah, Frank, anything to add to that uh, question number five here um, as we go? Man, that was really, that was a great answer because, you know, I was thinking about this and I was talking to a friend about this a couple of days ago. We're talking about the, 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 what, what it matters about the heart, right? And the narrative is a heart issue. When you think about a narrative, it's something that goes in your heart. And when you think about um, words and statistics, they're, they're cold and calculated. They don't connect, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and when you think even about going back, you know, when I always stick with the scriptures, right? You think about Adam, Adam never had the Bible. And, and he was with God fully, right? He wasn't reading yeah. Deuteronomy. He was like, he was just doing his thing, naming the animals, you know, <laughs> doing, yeah. you know, and, and, and so, and then you look in scriptures later when Moses says, he doesn't say memorize the words so you can use them and recite them against people when they come against you. He said, write this on your heart, put it in your heart. And David says, I hide my word in my heart that I wouldn't sin against you. So it's like, mm. you got to have this, this, we got to have the heart posture to, to really make this change. Right. Because like you mentioned, tokenizing, that's not, that's, that's just, that's like the Rooney rule in the NFL, which is you got to interview a black guy, you <laughs> yeah. know, make sure you bring him in so they can bring me in. Right. And so we interviewed a black guy. We had no intention of hiring him, you know? Yep. Um, and, and so, and so I think that the heart, right. And, I, and that's what the narrative, that's to me, that's what the same thing, a narrative and a heart, a narrative is a heart issue. That's, that's the story. And so to be able to connect that, um, is, is really the key. And so I think that's important that people have to examine their hearts and look at like, what are you trying to build in your church? And, 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 and I think more importantly, as, as you talk about these different questions, to be praying for the hearts of, of people as you deliver these questions, not just deliver them yeah. and say, watch this stuff. Yeah. And, and here's the information. Now you listen. It's, God, please stir their heart. Allow them to see your revelation in this information. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. That's what we really need. Like these questions certainly are, are part of the process, which, you know, when they say one, one waters, one plants to see one waters, but God grants the increase. We are, you know, some part of a planting and watering ministry. We have to know that God is going to move in whatever way. We have to understand mm -hmm. that we're planting, we're watering, but God is going to make whatever happens. And our job is to just do that. Um, and, and we live with the results of whatever that is. And I think that's how we can, we can embrace this and, and make this work. So I definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, let that. me take that analogy out a little more. Let's, let's say you handing this sample letter, which has these five questions on it to your leaders is you planting the seed. You watering it is praying for your leader, believing the best in your leader. Even if you've seen something different from your leader, 
believe the best in them, pray for them, pray that God would inspire them as they read this letter, as they read this question, and that the other leaders of your church would do the same. And then even beyond that, agree to do the work with them. How can I help? So many times as a church leader, I get people coming at me with ideas. We need to do this. We need to do that. Uh, I'll never forget one time as, as a youth pastor, I had a mom approach me angry because she missed a newsletter about, um, about uh, and she missed a deadline. And I extended the deadline for her, but she was all upset. And I said, you know, we've really thought about creating a, commu- uh, a, a youth group parent committee that would be in charge of communication to parents. Would you want to head that up? And she goes, I don't have time for that. And it's like so many times the thing you're angry about and the thing you're so frustrated about is the very thing that you won't even give an ounce of your time to. So if you're frustrated about this, if, you're, if you think this is a value for the church, you better be ready to give time to it too. You know, so if you're going to submit this letter to your, to, your, to your leaders, let them know you're willing to put skin in the game. You're willing to put time into this. You're not just submitting this as a, as a comment on Amazon. You know, like th- this isn't just a review of the church. If that's what it is, don't send it. I don't want you to send it if that's what it is. We need people in our church who are ultimately concerned about this to the point to where they're willing to put time in, to where they're willing to say, if you read that book, I'll read it with you. I haven't read it yet. If you want to sit down and talk, I want to help. If I need to go out and help mobilize people, let me know what I can do. If I need to research something for you, let me know what I can research. Let me know how I can help. I know I'm not a leader, but I just want to help our leaders be better leaders. I want to serve you as a leader. Um, Wow, I'll tell you, if your leader disregards you after you come at them with that posture, again, the way of watering the seed, right? Um, if you come at them with that posture and they, and they um, just kind of give you the Heisman pose and stiff arm you at that point, then it's like, you've done all you can, right? And you could give it some time, but I guess I'm saying like, that's the posture we need to come at. That's the, I think, planting the seed and watering it. And then, you know, ultimately God's gonna show up in a willing heart. And the, the prayer here is that your, that your leaders would have willing hearts. And if they don't, that's why we call it defund the church, because maybe it's time for us to walk away. And, and that's a, I just want to be clear because of how flagrant that terminology is that that's not something we do lightly. We've talked about all the different um, avoidances of the exit ramp of defunding the church here, right? We've talked about um, being patient with our leaders, uh, uh, praying for our leaders, Uh, discerning with our leaders, uh, being a resource to our leaders, right? Coming alongside our leaders. This isn't a do this or I'm out. This isn't an ultimatum. That's not what we're saying. But what we are saying is if the church reveals after given multiple opportunities, the value system is not diversity and is not elevating this. And I've given them every chance to take a step and they're not taking a step, then it might be time for me to consider whether or not I can support this as this doesn't support the kingdom. Man, I think that was a great, um, like I said, I want to thank all the listeners out there for listening. And I just hope that gave you a, a picture of how um, you can approach this idea of defunding the church. As the pastor mentioned, it's, a, it's obviously a flagrant term, but it's not meant to be an inflammatory term. So we, we, want, we want to um, keep that in our minds and our hearts as we submit these letters have these conversations. Um, I would even submit to you that, hey, you can read those letters and have the conversation if you feel like that's more personal, right? Like I think I think there's nothing wrong with 
having the conversation in whatever form, as long as it comes from a, a heart posture that I want to be part of the solution to. I'm not just throwing this at you um, with an, as, as the pastor said, with an ultimatum. So again, we want to thank everybody for listening. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, all the other major podcast platforms. We want to encourage you to subscribe, share this message. Uh, we want to get this out and make sure people know that, that God has a plan. He's making moves and it's happening now in this season. So uh, we thank you guys for listening. We love you and we'll see you soon on another episode of Defund the Church. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Please subscribe and iTunes, Stitcher, Podbeat, and other major podcast platforms. And also, don't forget to visit defundthechurch.com where you can find news and information on how to support this movement and rebuild the kingdom. Thank you.